look at when you're looking at training my question to you is do you consider ramwad the yoga stuff that you're doing the stretching that you're taking on your off days is that part of the conversation of training what what do you use that for Well, a couple things. One is to increase my mobility, which means I will move more sound in the gym. And then I also use it for the mental clarity before I start a busy work day or anything like that. I try to kind of gather my thoughts first thing in the morning right out of bed. So my initial point when I said I didn't consider it training was because I would do it on an off day no matter what, a day I wasn't going to train. Right. And again, the joke is, I think we're arguing semantics here because I think recovery days, off days are a part of training. Like when you put it on a calendar, it's not like I train four days a week and the other three that I'm doing Ramwad, getting massages and doing ice baths. Uh, to me, that's part of training. So massage is training. Massage sits under why so let's go to the same thing right <laughs> and again i think we're arguing semantics here you see where we're going with this is that so you do ramwad because you believe there's a benefit that can transfer into physical training that when you get back into the gym on the day that you're going to follow a program that you have created that it will make you better i believe the same for massage not from the physical physiological how it improves the suppleness of my joints and muscle tissue but also from a mental clarity like you're saying right i need a day for an hour that i do nothing don't have to think about nothing and that gives me a better training session so why wouldn't why wouldn't we uh, entertain those modalities as part of training right because when we when we wanted to start this uh, or the title of our podcast is are you over training or are you under recovering and what I'm saying is that both of these things to me are are principles of training of things that can hopefully get us into uh, better abilities in sport or increased fitness levels is under recovering is a misuse of training okay it's it's philosophical but the idea is that it's not that people are doing too much is they're not doing enough with everything outside of the physical movement everything else i'm doing outside of the gym they're not doing that because this is where we start the podcast is they don't think it's part of training it's just something they do if they have the extra time where you and again what i'm trying to sell you to is that ramwad for you is part of training you believe in it enough that on the days off that you will do it because you believe it has uh, by not doing it, it makes you worse of an athlete to me because you believe in it so much you implement it it is part of your training yeah no i i definitely you i uh i switch sides after our conversation and i think we're arguing semantics i think everything you do outside of the gym that's going to help you enhance as an athlete is part of training is diet a part of training yeah yeah, because yeah. we believe food is fuel and that outside of the gym, you can't get away eating like shit and think that it doesn't have a negative side effect on your training. So eating well, thinking about eating well, following new principles that can hopefully enhance your performance is part of training. Yeah, I mean, I never really looked at it as, you know, the, the big picture like you are. And that's, I think, 
at the end of the conversation is about big picture and the athletes, the best athletes in the world never stop training. Every moment, there's no nonstop. I was watching uh, uh, Sarah uh, Sigmund's daughter and she has this like mini documentary series that one of her sponsors are doing for her. And one of the thing that the coaches said is that they are always on. They have to be always on. Not from like, I need to win every workout, but from the moment they're done working out, what am I doing to supplement to make sure I can recover? When I get home, I need, I have to do 30 minutes of Ramwad. I gotta get my massage tomorrow. They are constantly on. I gotta go to bed early. I'm tracking uh, what my stress levels are. Like, they are always every on. Every decision pertains to their training. And every world, single decision they make 24 hours a day. And that was that 1% we talked about, is they're looking for the 1%. It's not some miracle thing, some new modality they're gonna do. That's going to elevate their fitness by 50% is that if they can look at every little minutia, that 1% makes a difference between uh, winning or losing. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think majority of people don't, you know, look at it like that because it's not as fun as going in and pounding out weights and running, you know, through a, a fast paced Metcon. You know, it's not fun to sit on a foam roller. It's not fun to, you know, stretch. It's not fun to do active recovery on a freaking bike for, you know, slow pace. That stuff's not fun. What's fun is going for a PR or, you know, getting your best time in Fran. That's fun. So that's where, you know, the general populations, that's where their primary focus is at because that's the fun stuff. Yeah, our, our slogan is not sexy. And because it's not sexy, they don't see a transfer. Uh, my favorite thing to do is put someone in a in a stretch, in a position of mobility, sit them in there for three or four minutes and make them do a movement that they struggle with that to see the transfer. That is like their aha moment of the function and the purpose of doing mobility work. Yeah, I mean, it's almost a wake-up call. It's it's a wake-up call. Uh, I've, I remember first getting into CrossFit, I had a couple wake-up calls uh, one in particular was I went to do a front squat. My One of my first times getting into a front rack, bro, it was ugly. <laughs> I literally felt like I almost decapitated myself. I almost took off my throat because it was like so, you know, uncomfortable and I couldn't get my shoulders or my elbows in a good position. And I'm like, a front you rack. You were trying so hard to do it like everybody else, but you couldn't. I couldn't. And it, it just felt it felt terrible and that was like that wake-up call like uh -huh. dude you got to start doing some mobility like if you want to you know move alongside everybody else wow. that, that you know i was strong as everyone if sure. not stronger but it's like you know it, you can't get in a good position, you'll never maximize your, your true potential or strength. And that's a great point, and it's one of the reasons, we, like what's the why to uh, you know, implementing recovery methods? And ultimately for most people, it's because they wanna perform better, right? So we know that, that's the obvious. One of the other ones that most people will work on recovery methods is they wanna uh, reduce their risk of injury. Now we can't significantly say it, there's a lot of the research out there that kind of just sits on the fist. It says it can reduce injury, but there's no like magic number or there's no like, uh, we're not psychic. We can't say, hey, by you doing Walmart for the last three months, if you wouldn't have done that, you would have injured your shoulder here. Like we don't have, we can't see into the future, but we hope that all the modalities that we are implementing in our training is to help reduce injury. Yeah, no, I agree. And then it could also be on the other side of the spectrum, uh, you suffer the injury already. Mm. And it's like, you know, another term of a wake up call. It's like, this could have been preventable if you, you know, 
you know, not just cleaned up your movement, but you you were mobile enough to complete a movement that required, you know, adequate mobility, such as a snatch or something. You know, if someone tried to have snapped a fairly heavy uh, snatch that, you know, they didn't have adequate shoulder mobility and then they tore their rotator cuff or something of that mm. sort. It's like, hey, this could have been preventable if I was focusing on being mobile enough before I even attempted to do this movement. Yeah, our thing with injury is that injury forces recovery. Because listen, if you don't start implementing these methods, I can guarantee along the line, you are going to overuse some really bad movement patterns that are gonna force injury. And then you'll have to sit back and say, shit, what could I have done or what can I do now in the future to make sure that doesn't happen? Uh, unfortunately, I just wish we can have a lot of these conversations ahead of that, that happening. Yeah, because it's important. And you know, sometimes it's just, it's not as easy to get through to people to do that. Because, like, you know, our first point, it's not sexy. It's not sexy to do this stuff. Sure. And so we just, we have to sell it as a lifestyle. Uh, from what we initially said, we have to sell it as, like, as common language as training, as physical training is, as important as we sell the deadlift we need to sell recovery method. Just like the diet, too. So what are some other signs of overtraining? What have you seen with athletes where it's obvious and clear that they're overtraining and they don't even realize it? Um... You know being too sore you know not to the sore where like you felt like you got a good workout but like your joints are achy you know um it's painful to move around to the point where you feel like you overdid it you know you overdid hey you know that that feels kind of sketchy it doesn't feel right you know i possibly have uh you know did a little bit too much too quickly to where you're not feeling recovered to do your next workout yeah, another good one for me is uh, nagging uh, like injuries. Now, I'm not going to call them injuries. They're just nagging uh, subtleties like uh, uh, my knee is flaring today. It's not injured, but it just doesn't feel right. It's a limitation for that particular workout. Sure. It's always like, oh, dang, it squats today where my knees is not. I know my knee is not going to handle this or I can't box jump today because my knees are like those little things like that where they keep coming up during certain movements then we know they're not spending enough time to try to make uh, use recovery methods to make that pain go away or subside yeah the it, it's a limitation if the coach is going over the workout briefing and you're like oh shit there's that movement we'll see how my shoulder holds up that that's probably a great indicator you might be overtraining or you not might not be doing the necessary steps to recover that you know particular muscle Sure, and it's again, unfortunately, it's because the pain is not so severe that they can keep working through it. Unfortunately, the degree of pain will continue to increase because the joint, the muscle, just can't keep taking that over and over. So uh, those are conversations where we want to get ahead of with individuals and athletes because to me, those are clear indicators. Pain is the indicator that something is wrong and we want to be able to take it, uh, to take care of that and get ahead of that combo. Yeah, movement should feel good. It should, it should feel, you know, the normal taxing and you know normal muscle fatigue but it shouldn't be painful you know you shouldn't drop down into a squat and then your knee hurts you know um you just gotta kind of be aware on you know how movement should feel like and it biting me should not hurt you i agree and we we have to take away well that's just always going to hurt me when i do that i think uh, we got to get more creative and we have to we have to sell a recovery better to them for me, another one with a long-term clients is progress. Uh, when someone initially starts out here, they have exponential, literally exponential progress. Like 
For me to increase my deadlift by 10 pounds would be a miracle in a four, eight week cycle. I would be miraculously to turn my 400 pound, 450 pound deadlift to 460, 470. I would be so happy, probably not gonna happen in eight weeks. For someone who's starting out, they're the male who comes here with a 200 pound deadlift, they'll finish eight weeks at 315, guarantee, mm -hmm. I know it. But with a longer individual athletes, they, because they train so hard and they don't just take a step back that they start to they don't see that progress and it can be other things this is not the end-all be-all because you don't see progress because you're not recovering it could be mean they're recovering too much or they're they don't you know they're not sticking to a program long enough we're saying this could be a possibility of why advanced athletes aren't seeing uh, seeing the progress that they want is they're just not using recovery methods consistently enough to be able to help adapt and, and handle these new stimuluses yeah, another good one I want to speak on was the uh, we got decreased motivation, mm -hmm. and I'll suffer through this personally. You know, I'll uh, sometimes go you know four or five days straight of pretty intense training, sometimes a couple two a days, but then I'm getting towards the end of the week, you know, Friday, Saturday, and it's like I'm getting up to train just because I want to train, but I'm getting to the gym. And it's like I can't find, I can't get it going. You know, it's taking me a little bit longer to warm up, um, and then once I eventually feel warmed up, it's like. I can't get going it's like you know nothing feels right and you know at that point I feel like I just showed up to the gym because it was something I set out and I was supposed to do yeah we our uh, combo pre uh, podcast was uh, the biggest thing you struggle with is you just love to train so much no matter what that sometimes you'll go in there because you just love doing it but you just don't have it in you uh, so I think the battle with you is to you know, teach self-awareness to be like, hey, listen, and I think you've gotten better with that. I know days when I tried to force you to work out and you're like, nah, dude, I'm taking a day off. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, it's so like teaching, the hardest thing to do with athletes is to teach them to listen to their bodies because I can create a 365 day workout program for you, but if your body's saying something else, uh, who are you? Uh, you have no power over yourself if you don't listen to those, that gut intuition that says, listen, maybe I should take today off. Or that one time you hurt your back and what did you tell me before, after you hurt your back, what did you say? Uh, I don't remember. You said something to the extent like, I wasn't really feeling it, but oh, that, yeah, okay. that there was so much hype oh, yeah, that exactly. I had to do it. Yeah, I had But you a, walked into that day like, man, you weren't feeling well, you I weren't motivated yeah. to really pull that. I wasn't, I was just there at the time, but exactly, you know, I had a hard week of training previously that I felt a little banged up, a little sore. and. You know, I, I had the mental attitude of like, hell yeah, let's do it, I'll hop in. But uh, my body wasn't ready for it. And that's when, you know, that's called the grade A stubbornness right yeah. there. <laughs> but you've learned a lot. We're always, we're constantly growing and that's what we're saying. We're not perfect. We have to fight and overcome some of these signs of overtraining. But uh, the more clear we can make these, the more bullet points we can make for individuals, the, the more obvious it is because when you're in it, you uh it's hard to see these bullet points but if you can step away from your training as an emotional like i have to do this or you feel some pressure some for some reason and you look at it like this is obviously uh signs of overtraining and, and being able to listen to it yeah this kind of comes down to another point that we plan to get into later in the podcast but a good way that i've been uh able to adapt to this would be to schedule my off day okay you know Say, hey, Before the week even happens? Exactly. You know, I'm going to take Wednesday off. I'm going to take Friday off. You know, stay the hell out the gym. Train hard Monday, Tuesday, take Wednesday off. Train hard Thursday, Friday, take Saturday off. Whatever the case may be. 
but schedule that off day or schedule that active recovery day schedule that massage schedule that ramwad session schedule you know your attack to this recovery method work and just stick to it yeah like anything if uh if you fail to plan you plan to fail and uh no more true is that than recovery days so if we're looking at okay we're, we're selling our listeners on the idea of recovery let's kind of you know talk about some methods of recovery traditionally like what have uh we've used in the past or or what are some things we're doing now that are uh that are newer that we're experimenting with that we like or uh, that we want other people to try for me in the past uh the most traditional one that i still use today is massage because it's effortless all i I can take in a whole hour of my day and have someone perform tissue work on me Mm -hmm. now i get selective about the pressure that i'm looking for or what the goal right i have a goal in each massage session which is i just need to let go my mind free or other days is i need a half an hour on this low back or whatever so i have a goal into each massage but i have an active membership for uh two massages a month and I follow those incessantly because I see the value in massage. Yeah, I like that. Uh, just because we talked about Ramwad already, I want to kind of introduce another one that I've been getting into a little bit more. Would be I've been sitting in the hot tub. I've been going to the jacuzzi. You know, in our development, you know, I'll sit down, I'll throw on a podcast, I'll just chill, relax, and I'll do like 30 minutes, you know, in the hot tub, and I'll literally go right up in front of the jet that's pretty strong we got pretty strong jets in our jacuzzi right on the low back nice i love it right on the low back so i'll just sit there and it's you know uh i I feel like it's been helping it's been helping especially if my legs have been super sore or low back's been real tight i'll go and i'll do 30 minutes in the hot tub next day you know get a good night's sleep i'll hydrate a lot too when i'm in the hot tub smart um and yeah that's kind of been one of my go-to's lately is you know just going down the hot tub you know uh bring my gallon of water with me throw on a podcast just slam water let the jets really do some work on the low back and you know rest the legs a little bit inside that that's a good one uh the the opposite of hot tub would be uh cold showers or ice baths is really popular if you've heard of a gentleman uh an iceland dude uh iceland australian austria uh wim hof w-i-m-h-o-f okay uh he's uh he's the leader in ice baths right now extreme like 50 degrees or below sit in it for five to ten minutes they also he has a a breathing uh methodology that he follows that i feel is uh very very effective uh but it's a more uncomfortable situation most people prefer hot baths to cold uh cold uh baths because uh they're just a little bit more uh easier to handle but i think this magic medium or happy medium between the two is uh is good and hot cold if in a perfect world i would want everyone to have a jacuzzi in an ice bath side by side mm-hmm. that they filter in and out two to three minutes five to ten sets nothing more effective it's like this um an artificial lymphatic pump that you're creating in your system uh it's really really effective uh but unfortunately it's not conducive for everybody because you need to create that atmosphere i've been doing something like that like near our hot tub we have the shower that's right there and it gets kind of cold it gets kind of cold so when i'm in the hot tub and i get start you know sweating getting too too hot I'll, i'll jump out i'll get right underneath the cold shower I'll sit on a cold shower, like it's like an instant cool down. I'll jump right back into the hot tub. I love it. Or jump in the pool back and forth. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, if you play that game, uh, you'll feel better. I think another one that's really cliche. I hate to say it because it is is so uh, it's overstated. 
uh, is sleep. sleep. We just don't. Before we get on sleep, I just you know want to go back to the ice baths. You were doing a little bit of them, right, with some breathing technique for a little yep, bit. Yeah, it was the Wim Hof method. I saw you posted on social media. Um, how how long did you do those for? I did that for about three weeks, and the only reason I stopped doing it was uh, two, the move. We had just moved. Uh, we we're getting ready to move, and two, it got really expensive because you needed. Uh, six to ten bags of ice so it was like 20 to 30 dollars a session i was doing it yeah uh but with the new move and uh the cost of it it just didn't make sense but uh nothing has made me feel more better than those ice baths one because the the extreme cold temperatures that uh helped with inflammation and two the the uh, presence that it required for me to manage that cold with the breathing technique that he supplemented. There's just to kind of get through the whole process, right? To, just to get through it. He calls it fire breathing because you can literally uh, take a certain breathing method that will uh, increase your core temperature. So, uh, and he's done multiple studies, he's got multiple Guinness records. Well, he'll drop below like 10 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. And then, but his core temperature is still 98.6 because wow, of the breathing. Okay. Dude, it's uh, it's unbelievable. And he's defying logic now and he's starting to get research behind his studies. It's really, really effective. I don't believe it's for everyone, unfortunately, because it is so, it, the temperatures are so extreme that you, you have to be ready to take that on. It's not, let's go just jump in the pool and have fun. It's really, uh, it's an aggressive form of recovery for sure. So it's way colder than a traditional ice bath or? A lot colder. So yeah. when we used to, right, in football, in yeah. wrestling, well, how remember, many bags of ice do you use? In I, don't, a I couldn't even tell you. I guarantee it was probably one or two. When you go up to six or eight bags in the same amount of volume of water, there's nothing colder than I've ever experienced. Jeez. Nothing. So uh, we should do it sometime. I still have the tub at my house. We just gotta throw some bags in there. So that's another one. I'm just really hesitant sometimes to 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 do it at that level because I think you have to uh, uh, you have to be really serious about that that type of uh, recovery method, or you won't take it seriously. I had a best friend who came and joined me one night, and he said it was so extreme he had difficulty sleeping the, that night because he was still it's a nervous system stuff that was yeah. happening and he, it, it was really interesting to see a different effect because I had been doing it for weeks before he had come so to me he jumped just, right into the fire he just huh? jumped right into it and uh, nah, see, I, I know, learned from that I know myself you know I, I don't think I could go up to that level that quick I haven't even taken an ice bath in, since high school dude we'll do that as like a drinking game one night it's uh, <laughs> uh, how long can you last because there's a point where you get involved involuntary contractions through your entire body you're shivering Jesus, your yeah. neck like you can't control it because <laughs> it is that cold and the only thing that saved me is the breath you got to learn how to to breathe a certain way when you do it because if not then you're screwed yeah you'll jump out you won't make it you start like it. hyperventilating get all nervous or something you get nervous yeah. i mean your heart rate will initially increase if you freak out until you can calm it down through the breath it's uh physiologically it's something else i've never experienced yeah it's, it's pretty i neat. wouldn't be able to last man because when i was doing the cold showers for a while like i jump into the shower super super cold on its coldest temperature and it take me a little bit to kind of calm down my breathing because it almost like puts your body in shock you know? exactly exactly um uh, yeah, and, and I would say do the research on it. He's got some really cool stuff that he's putting out. Uh, it obviously works. It's, it's, a, it's a growing trend. Uh, it's something that's starting to hit 
uh, our community more and more. They call it, uh, a, another way they call it fire and ice is, is what they're calling this method because you're getting the hot baths. Uh, most people are doing saunas now. They're doing saunas and then they're jumping into the ice baths. And there's, uh, there's something powerful about that. that back uh, and forth. That back and forth like that, for sure. Uh, but I was talking about sleep, mm -hmm. and uh, we have talked about this in, in multiple podcasts about not how important it is to just get sleep, but to get consistent sleep. You can't make up sleep. Uh, the research shows that over and over. It has to be consistent over time. There's an app that I was sharing uh, that allows you to track your sleep. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but the I it's uh, what they say about sleep. It's uh, it's a free form of recovery. Like mm -hmm. it costs you nothing. All you got to do is put in the time. Uh, but it's just hard to do because of our lifestyles. You literally have to teach people the method of how to get to sleep because there's so many things that are keeping our attention. Uh, but it's usually one of the first questions I ask people when someone feels like they're drained or not progressing well or having these nagri injuries is, uh, how much sleep are you? How getting? much sleep are you getting? It's the first question I ask because it can, it can help, uh, uh, with these other modalities, I, I want to attack that first, and then get into some of these other uh, other styles as well. Yeah, I uh, definitely one of my weaknesses is getting enough sleep. Uh, I'm either I feel like I've been a night owl my entire life, even before I started training. You know, I uh, I just so there's something about staying up late, you know, during the night. But um, yeah, like uh, as of recent, everyone's kind of bringing this more into attention how to get to sleep a little bit better at night. You know, turn off all the light, all the TVs, any blue light, you know, blue mm -hmm. light is kind of, you know, getting more mainstream on what's keep, keeping people up. Um, yeah, so turn off the blue lights. Uh, the schedule is, you know, really important. Go to the same, go to sleep at the same time every night, yep. wake up at the same time every morning. And uh, it's, it, you know, you guys just got to kind of keep it as a habit of, you know, um, making sure that it's a priority, you know, sleep is a priority and you set your time aside to get enough of it. But it's easier said than done, that's for sure, on, on my point of view. Yeah, there's actually research on this. They, they, they call it chronotypes. And uh, we know this in common language as being a night owl or an early riser. You're either one or the other. And it's not necessarily that you, uh, they believe it's more important uh, to maintain this uh, a consistent amount of the, the time that you go to sleep rather than when, uh, excuse me, not when you go to sleep, but when you rise, that you, there has to be a consistency with the time that you rise because it, uh, it reduces your melatonin levels early, which means you bring them back sooner throughout the night. And so that's the consistency. It doesn't matter like if you fall asleep at midnight, but do you, you probably should be waking up at eight. Like there's an eight hour gap that you're sleeping. It's not like the issue is when you go to sleep at midnight and you got to get up at five or mm -hmm. six, that's the issue. It's the time frame uh, from the moment you get to sleep to when you wake up. That's really what we want to geek out about. Yeah, and then what? The traditional rule of thumb is eight hours should be, you know, pretty damn close to mandatory between seven and eight hours. Yeah, uh, comp train Ben Bergeron, he he recommends ten to eleven for his uh his, for some of his high end athletes. Ten to eleven hours of sleep. I couldn't remember the last time I've slept ten hours. Yeah, dude, it's uh, ever. It, it it it, yeah. So imagine the priority he puts on them, like how important it is. If he's saying these individuals who who train six to eight hours a day need that that means almost 50 percent of their day is coming that's what sleep. i was gonna say yeah. that's half of your day is sleep yep 
that's how important of an emphasis he places on it. And uh, I trust what he says, man. He's he's produced a multiple games winner, so there's something to that for sure. The other ones that we really sell, uh, light cardio days. I consider that if you can keep that percentage of uh, your heart, uh, your max heart rate low, 60 to 75. We talked about even lower than that. Uh, it's so hard for us to do sometimes because we're so go, go, go that when we don't go fast, we think it's not working. But just breaking a light sweat and keeping a really low heart rate is probably some of the best stuff you can do because you're you're moving through motion, you're moving through range of motion and movement. You're just not, uh, you're not doing anything, right? I think one of the things we we're both clear about is do something, don't. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very rare we take a full day off where we don't do jack. Once yeah. a week, maybe once every two weeks we might do that, but it's very rare that we do that. We always want to stay moving lightly. Yeah, no, the term for it is uh, you're kind of pushing the lactic acid, you know, throughout and then eventually out of your body. Um, that's why that light, light cardio stuff is some form of, you know, movement is, is, you know, beneficial. And what also has been kind of big as of recently is these 10-minute walks that's I'm kind of yep. saying on all of social media. It's like, you know, walk, move. You know, because the worst thing you do is sit in a desk for 10, 11 hours. That's not, that's no form of recovery. That's doing way, you know, more harm than good. But move, you know, go for a walk on the beach, you know, sit on the air dine outside for a, you know, slow, slow pace. Go for a real light jog. That light, light cardio, you know, will go a long way. I love it. I love it. So we're selling why we're selling multiple methods. How do we get individuals to implement this? What would be your advice to individuals who acknowledge they need recovery they have some uh some tools that we've given them how do we starting tomorrow how do we implement that throughout their training well like i said earlier was schedule it schedule it you know uh like you said you know if you're failing to plan you're planning to fail set your off day or set your active recovery day whatever it is set the recovery methods that work for you that you plan to use you know, set that, you know, uh, Wednesday, Friday deal, whatever it is, part of your schedule, and then execute. Plan and then execute. That's great. What about, what do you got? What, how would, what's a good suggestion that you'd uh, suggest for the listeners to start doing right now? Well, I think it's important that individuals know, I don't think all modalities work for everyone. And uh, we can sit here and argue hot baths versus cold baths or massage versus self uh, myofascial release is I think people need to uh, experiment with different mod modalities and give it time to work. So I would say uh, start with one or two modalities that you'll spend the next three to four weeks doing. Don't do anything else. Don't get caught up with anything else. For example, let's say I'm going to uh, for the next month, I'm going to schedule one massage a week and I'm going to do uh, uh, three hot baths a week for the next month. Let's do those two things, don't do anything else, don't get caught up with anything else, and let's see what happens. Do you feel like it has a positive outcome on your training? Because if it does, it works. If it was negligible, maybe you didn't give it enough time, or maybe it just doesn't work, try something else until you are sure without a shadow of doubt, like ice baths, if someone said, listen, I'm really, really serious about recovery, but, and I, what would you recommend? I would sell the hell out of ice baths because it worked I, for you. Because it worked for me. Now it could not work for them, but if they did it in the environment that I did, I I know it would work. So, uh, but I think they just caught up with some of the traditional methods, like just sitting there and stretching, that they're not opening their eyes to some of the new research coming out. Yeah, or they're not doing it correctly. Yeah, they're not doing it correctly or long enough, like you just mentioned, to really reap the benefits. And and 
I think a good rule of thumb is that the newer you are, the more or the more advanced you are. So this is kind of bell-shaped curve when you're first starting out, or if you've been in the game for a while, you need a lot of recovery. Mm -hmm. You need a lot of recovery. That doesn't mean a lot of days off. It just means you need to be implementing a lot of different methods at all time because when you're new. Uh, it's not the propensity of getting injured. I don't think that's my fear with beginners. It's that it's the soreness. It's this extreme soreness that we want to mitigate. Uh, and for advanced athletes, it's a volume because they've been in it for so long. They've been doing the movements the longest. They're going to risk injury. So for these two, this these two extreme fitness levels, either really new to the game and not really well conditioned, or so well conditioned and been doing it consistently for a really long time, you need to immediately start implementing modalities. If you're kind of on the fence, it probably doesn't have an effect on you. You you might say, hey, I train six days a week, and my question is, well, you just don't train hard enough because yeah. if you're training six days a week and you don't think you need recovery you aren't training hard enough you're not my concern mm -hmm. you're not the one that i'm concerned about recovery stuff yeah no i like that bell-shaped curve uh combo you know the people that are first starting out that are real real sore you can give them a quick fix hey you know hey my arms are super super sore what do you suggest i got a question yesterday hey my biceps are really really sore what do you suggest i literally texted him the simplest thing hey lock out your elbow and um with your bicep facing up pull your fingers towards you so you're stretching your bicep and your forearm very simple stretch it could work very easily uh or hey my legs are super super sore what do you suggest go for a walk maybe mm -hmm. a light jog down the street the more and more advanced athletes, hey, you know, we're gonna spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes on mobility wad, 10, 15 minutes on wad, wad, a cold bath, a massage. You know, we gotta get that much more and that much more dialed in the more advanced the athlete is. I love it. We're on the same page, buddy. So get on that training tip. You are either over training or under recovering, and it's likely that you're under recovering. Yeah, just, you know, pay attention to the little things, schedule the little things, and, you know, just make it that much of a priority along with all that fun stuff we like to do, which is train hard. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. See you.